becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. We are not hired to this in Cheers to the shores. To the shores. Yeah. We didn't do like a one, two, three, go. It's just like just right into just it. Just right into yeah. it. <laughs> I'm living on the shores these days. Dude, you're you're like you're like recalibrating on all sorts of ends right now. Really am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for one thing the liquor store is still out of bullet rice so or having to drink knob creek i don't want to yeah complain i mean yeah. knob creek's fine but mm-hmm. it's not the official yeah. beverage of the shores of ignorance <laughs> totally we're still waiting for our sponsored deal but it's not looking so good just yet i think we have to let them know we exist for, oh that's right yeah yeah you know people will just find you, you out. can you'd send an email yeah yeah it's probably like then this you podcast can say, right, we, yeah. we need to like promote it in order for people right. to listen to right <laughs> Uh, but we love this, so that's the that's most of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get into it. Totally. Who says that? Let's get into it. Uh, uh, pomp, I think. Okay. Yeah. Best uh, podcast of the world. Can't have that then. No. Let's get into this. <laughs> it feels to me so. My my schedule has changed a lot lately because I started a new job, and so I've been reflecting a lot on like what it means, as you said, to like recalibrate your life. But another like interesting sort of revelation that I've had through that process is like the world is so full, like period. It's just full of people, of ideas, of things going on. So many unexpected things, wonderful things, terrifying things. Like when we get like really stuck in patterns, I don't even want to use the word stuck, but just we get into a pattern that we know really well um, it's like when you know things really well, you kind of stop seeing them. Mm. And then when you're thrust into a situation in which you don't know almost anything, it's like you see everything <laughs> and it's overwhelming and it's exhausting, mm-hmm. but it's also a reminder that there's just so much, mm. so much to the world, so much to, to encounter. It's like, you don't ever have to be bored if you don't want to. <laughs> that's a really great, that's a great point. It kind of reminds me of like Peterson talked about the, you know, you're driving along and you don't see houses anymore. You see representations of houses and it's like something that all these things sort of fade back into the background that you no longer see things. You see representation of things. And then when you're thrust into a new situation, it's like everything sort of has a, a vibrancy to it, you know? It's yeah. Like, kind of reminds me of people who, sort of like sabotage their lives just to kind of feel, uh, mm, alive, to feel something, to feel something. That's kind of like, that's masochism. Yeah. Sabotage your life or even hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, but that it just like kind of that, that almost need to feel something. Mm-hmm. So you've had over information overload this week. I have. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, part of the theme that I think that we've been touching on over the last couple of episodes is this idea of trans transitioning into this new age, which is characterized by information characterized, um, by, you know, potentially ca- uh, chaos, mm-hmm. um, and characterized by exponential change. 
And so I think in large part, this is the world we're going to be living in, Mm. you know, all of us to a certain degree. And I'm finding that at the moment, like super exciting, Mm -hmm. but also really scary. Yeah. Because a lot of newness is really scary. Well, it's definitely overwhelming because you're, you're, you're spending so much time taking in new information and sort of categorizing and cataloging and trying to find spaces that are familiar to kind of put things in, maybe even temporarily, you know, it's like, okay, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm temporarily going to put it in this file folder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't fit here, you know, or you create a whole other file folder for the things that don't, you don't understand or, or don't make sense. You just kind of put in that file folder to kind of unpack at the end of your day or into the week or just kind of over time or something like that. Um, but it seems, so, it seems so healthy to kind of have that sort of like, uh, that sort of newness, you know, that, that, that kind of shakes up everything and kind of makes you look at these categories you put things in, you know, it's yeah. like, <clears throat> like, I mean, anytime like, uh, uh, if Alice is not feeling good or something like that and I have to take the kids to school, you know, uh, she's, she does that for, in our family and like, and I have to like recategorize, okay, I don't do this. I can't do that. I need to do this. Okay. <laughs> bump, 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 bump. Okay, cool. We're good. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's like, it, you got to reboot that system. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it, it's, it's, it's hard. Cause I, it does. Uh, Allison kind of like watches me. Like I kind of do the mental gymnastics in my head and then I'm like, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> what podcast am I listening to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. I, I, I'm, as you were talking about that, I was kind of reflecting on this new Omicron variant of the COVID disease. Well, it's just shit because you can't pronounce it. Nobody can. <laughs> Omicron. Uh, Omicron. Omicron. <laughs> Robotron. Oh my God. <laughs> Omicron. Uh, <laughs> Omicron. Omicron. <laughs> well, can we take this seriously? Really? Yeah, like, no, like no, this is the thing is you, the you can't, it's like, but I think a lot of people are trying to get us to take it seriously, but I've, I've noticed a lack of response from most people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, when COVID first came out, it was like the big scary unknown. So it's like, what is our, what should our response be? We don't know. Let's go with fear, you know? And so we did that. Mm -hmm. And then now this new one is supposed to be scary. And I think everybody's just kind of like, eh, I don't want to, I'm, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that. I'm done with fear response. Yeah. Like, how about no Scott, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is, uh, I've been a bit surprised and, and glad for that because mm-hmm. I think we need that societally. Yeah. We need to adjust our risk tolerance. It does seem like there's a little bit of a risk adjustment, a risk, a risk, risk adjustment tolerance. Wait. <laughs> Those words in some order. Tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance so, towards risk adjustment. Right. <laughs> okay. Wow. Sorry, I was laughing at my own you, joke. You really tickled yourself there. <laughs> I did. Oh, um, yeah. Risk tolerance adjustment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> RTA. RTA. Yeah. It seems like it's kind of healthy for us to kind of do that. It's kind of like, okay, we've reacted this way for over a year and a half. Uh, do we need to be doing something different? Mm-hmm. Like how can I, it's also, we're starting to see more of a long term, more of a macro view of things. It's like, we can't keep reacting the way that we have or else we're, you know, the economies are going to go to shit. Our kids are going to not learn stuff. Yeah. Um, somehow we have to move forward in a way that is not what we have been doing. Well, somehow we have to, I think you could just say somehow we, we have to move forward mm-hmm. period because mm-hmm. we haven't really. 
you know, in the yeah. last, last couple of years. Yeah, totally. So yeah, new, scary Omicron people are, I just like, whatever. Yeah. I wonder if it's because we live in Texas though. It's like <clears throat> more so that way. Well, yeah, I mean, possibly, but then, you know, even on the internet, just sort of the normal chatter yeah. that you pick up the background noise, you kind of yeah. get a, a feel for the size and shape of a response that's not locally based. And mm-hmm. I've just noticed a, a different response or really a lack of response yeah. other than the mainstream media and mm-hmm. then people making fun of it online. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am hearing again, this, I don't, I don't, there's, I don't think there's enough information out there right now, but I do hear some it's, 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 it might spread faster, but it has less of an impact. Like it's not having as many, uh, hospitalizations and stuff like that. So it's like, maybe it is. Uh, and again, I, um, not speaking from, uh, facts that I know, but from what I understand, that's kind of how the Spanish flu was that it, as it started to mutate, it became less and less potent mm-hmm. and which makes sense. It's kind of like how these things go. <laughs> <clears throat> So we can only hope. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad that, um, I'm glad to be spending mental cycles on new things. And my hope is that as we move forward into the potential of the future and the chaos of the future, Mm -hmm. um, that more of us will spend time, you know, thinking about the positive potential, you know, rather than the fear of the negative potential. Mm Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> that's what I want to talk about. I think it's just necessary, <clears throat> but at the same time, it's like you got, uh, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey stepping down from Twitter. That was disheartening. That was, I, 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 I was bummed about that. Yeah, tell me, tell me about it. <clears throat> well, you know, Jack Dorsey is a controversial figure um, for maybe a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. At least, primarily his. <clears throat> choice of facial hair grooming. She's got a picture of Jim Doug. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. good. Um, you know, but he has presided over one of the most controversial social platforms. And so it's easy to sort of dog on him, but mm-hmm. I think sort of reading between the lines, I think he has Twitter and really sort of like the, the analogy of the public squares, best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have full control. He, you know, he wasn't, I don't think a primary, uh, I don't think so. Primary owner. He was CEO. And so, you know, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it signals that he's stepping down. I do know that the person that is replacing him seems to be a lot more woke Mm -hmm. and, um, opinionated about what constitutes free speech and what doesn't. Yeah. And I think that's bad news. I think that's bad news for Twitter. I think that's bad news for the discourse. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. And we'll see what Jack does. I don't mm-hmm. think he's done uh, participating <clears throat> no. in the world. Yeah, I always kind of wondered. I mean, there's kind of like a myth and legend kind of mixed in with this. But I wonder if, like, at the same time, like, he didn't feel like he could do the things he needed to do at Twitter. What's the impression I got? Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe he's going to join Donald Trump in his new social media network. <laughs> no way. That would be suicide for him. Be Career suicide. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, that was a total joke. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to be a really fascinating thing to kind of see. Like, 
I remember someone said that this one guy was the uh, CEO, and I went and kind of looked at his stuff, and I was like, "Is this a joke?" Like, I don't. He has CEO of Twitter on there now, and I, I, I couldn't take it seriously. I wasn't sure. The exactly. new guy, yeah, the new yeah, guy. He, he was CTO. Uh huh. Um, yeah, no, but just a brief comment on him. He tweeted, uh, I guess, really recently something. Like if we, oh, that was 2010. Oh, it was that old. Yeah, it was that okay. Old. It was well, then I don't like, want to. I don't want to bring it. No, resurface it. I don't like that. I, part of me was like, yeah, that's kind of a shitty thing to say, but you know what? That was 11 years ago. Yeah, and I, I I'm just I not for that. that. Like dragging 11 mm-hmm. year old stuff to the surface. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it has some relevance, but it's not certainly not at least close to the most relevant thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like I, we're not the same people we were <laughs> 10 years ago. Thankfully. What was I? I was like, oh yeah, I had a birthday <laughs> since the last episode. I can't believe you admitted that. Uh, I did. I, I guess it was because it, it threw me off. Michael was, hates his birthday. <laughs> I don't hate my birthday. I just don't I just, want it. To I be just known. like to be. I like to be internal about it. <laughs> but I had a great birthday. Matt and I went at steaks. I also wasn't feeling good, and she was really sad about not coming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but we had steaks and. Well, but happy birthday from the yeah, shores. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, I'm 44. It's crazy. It is crazy. Are you going to buy a sports car or something? I totally sports yeah. car. No, I bought a Tacoma. <laughs> <laughs> bought a Tacoma. <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> and some cryptocurrency. And some crypto. <laughs> You're like buying crypto is the new. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Counseling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that, I think. Uh, well, it kind of has to do with Jack and, and the metaverse and some of the things we've been talking about. I think there's there's a lot of a lot of newness happening right now, and and I think we're all kind of like, oh, sorry, I was about to do something serious, and I'm like back to something funny or crazy. I, I really love this sort of uh, there's this meme going around where uh, yeah, there's all these people in the background like grabbing onto each other. It's like CRT racism, da, 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 all these, you know, all these things that are like mainstream media going on in the background and this, like, and then this one guy is labeled crypto. He's just like on his phone, like just not paying attention, <laughs> not paying attention. Like, yeah. like it just like dollar signs are going. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Well, I, I kind of feel like there's, a, there's, there's a lot of like distractions that, you know, it's like that we're kind of <clears> facing right now that, you know, even, even COVID is so somewhat of a distraction. It's not like there's real life happening and things are going and moving and it's, I mean, that's a really good point. And back to my sort of, uh, statement or, or thought as we kicked off that there's just so much to the world, like the world is full and we've all been living in a world or most of us, I think over the last two years in which COVID is reality. COVID Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. And what you're not maybe seeing is that there are people who are getting, who will soon be the richest people that have ever lived Mm. because of crypto. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and you don't know that it's happening because you're not paying attention. Totally. You know, you don't even know to pay attention. Mm -mm. Even if you try to pay attention, it's like, you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have been on sort of a year long journey of understanding it. I don't, and I feel like I, you know, I know 1% of it. Yeah. Um, oh, I got it. You understand it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a trillionaire now. Trillionaire. That's amazing. I'm glad to know you. <laughs> but there's just, there's just, th- there's so many things going on mm-hmm. that you're just not aware of. Yeah. 
And that's either frightening or super exciting Mm -hmm. because it means that every day you wake up, there's some new world to be discovered if you care to look. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's people working on problems that are, that have to do with our future, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it's like, you know, COVID is a blip in our future. Mm -hmm. And, and if we can start looking two to three to five years, 10 years down the road, you know, that, that changes and put, puts things into perspective. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, are there still things that we need to deal with and work through with COVID? It's like, yes, but at some point it needs to take up less than 90% of your brain. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe put it to 20%. Yeah, you've got you this know? beautiful brain and this wondrous, mm-hmm. unexplainable consciousness. Yeah. What might you put that to use mm. toward? Yeah. You know, what are you capable of? Mm-hmm. What thoughts might you have? Yeah. Or just, what are you going to say? <laughs> it's just, it's just incredible. It's mm-hmm. like you are far more potential than you are reality. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so is the world. Well, even thinking about it, like the people that you know around you, you know, uh, you know, I've known you for 12 years, something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I even see more potential in you than you see of yourself mm-hmm. or maybe, I mean like our amount of potential that you don't see that I see, you know? Yeah. And then you just kind of look at all the people that are, you, that are around you. They see another potential of you that I don't see, you know? And it's like, there's, there's stuff that that's just kind of out there for the taking, but yeah. you have to ask for it. You have right. to like, um, acknowledge it or even just acknowledging that you don't see, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, uh, I was thinking of the parable Jesus parable. It's like, you know, the blind man who can see and the Pharisees who are, who can see and are blind, you know, it's like, mm. <clears throat> there's something about a blind person knowing that they're blind. That is actually helpful. You know, I don't see the world as everybody else sees it. Mm. And so I'm going to pay attention in a lot different way than people who actually can see. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And they're actually, they're actually blind. You know, I think that's, there's something in that parable that really is, uh, I think pretty powerful. Hmm. It's almost as if you, if you think you can see, then it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's one thing to not know. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to not know that you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you know that you don't know, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, you're quite a bit ahead. Yeah. The known unknowns and the known knowns. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's something about what's well, even just like the whole idea of like, you know, pride comes before the fall and like, there's a certain like humility that you have to have in order to, for things to reveal themselves to you. Hmm. And, and it'd be good if it was all willingly have, you know, willingly done. And I think many times, like, I think we were talking about this uh, a few years back or a year back, how reality sort of slaps you in the face, you know, it's like you, you kind of, you kind of get off of reality a little bit and just snaps you back in. And I think that's something that we can either do willingly or unwillingly, you know, spending time like you were, like you were doing, like just spending time in the morning, just writing and kind of reflecting on, on the day or, or what you're thinking and just to kind of acknowledge and see, see what's going on in your brain, you know, 
or taking time to kind of think about the dream you had last night. You're mm-hmm. like, what, what was that about? Like, what were those symbols? You know, it's like, cause I mean, your dreams are speaking to you. They have, they're taking on symbolic representation of your day or of your week or your psyche or whatever it might be. Yeah. But there's something about taking time just to reflect on the symbolic and <clears throat> that kind of opens you up to new possibilities or ways of seeing things. Yeah. But <clears throat> let's, it's called by a lot of different names, you know, in some circles it might be called intention setting in others. It might be called meditation. Others, it might be called journaling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could sort of think of it as a process of like getting to know yourself. Mm. You know, if you want to get to know another person, what do you do? You spend time with them. Mm-hmm. You ask them questions. Yeah. You pay attention to their answers. <coughs> And you make connections between the answers and then you make observations about those connections between the answers Mm. and all of a sudden a relationship is forming Mm. and you kind of have to do the same thing with yourself. Mm. You have to spend time with yourself and ask yourself questions. How are you feeling? What Mm. do you think about this? And then you have to pay attention to your answers. Yeah. And notice the connections between them and make observations. And, you know, I'm not sure that there's really any difference between knowing yourself and knowing another person in terms of process. I really love that. That they could just be such a great picture of sort of like me just sitting down with myself saying, Hey, how are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> what you got going on there? I haven't done this in a long time, but I, I, someone taught me the practice of, uh, conversational conversational journaling Mm. where you write a conversation between yourself and another person. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful if you assign the, like don't make the other person a real person. You can do that, but it's a slightly different practice, but assign the other person uh, like a symbol, like a triangle. And you just literally, you know, write it, write your name colon and start the conversation. Like you're writing a dialogue and then, write the symbol for the other person, the triangle or whatever colon Mm -hmm. and write what that entity responds as. Mm. And you can actually write a conversation that's even interesting to yourself to read. (laughs) And it's so interesting because what is that? Yeah. Who are you talking to? Mm -hmm. Who's responding? You know, it's you, Mm -hmm. but it's also surprising to you. So it's something you don't know. Is it your unconscious? Is it, you know, a spirit, <laughs> well, a demon, I've done that a with, genius. I've done that with uh, like, like a conversation with God, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it, because I, that kind of represents to me something that I, that would know if I was lying, you know? So I, I, I I'd be truthful. It's, mm-hmm. it, it makes me be more truthful if that makes sense. Or like, you know, say, <clears throat> let's just say like, you know, God asked me, Hey, how are you doing? I'm like, man, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different parts of this. And then, but to understand it's kind of why I use guys because like, like he can already understand those different parts. So I don't have to like overly explain. So it gives me a lot more freedom to maybe just talk about the things that are most relevant. Hmm. Yeah. Because if you're in a conversation with another person that you know, and they ask Mm -hmm. you the question, how are you doing? you can't help but self edit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to edit yourself to what's relevant to that person in that relationship. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so how do you ask yourself or how does someone ask you, how can you honestly answer the question how you're doing? You almost have to have the conversation with a God or mm -hmm. an unknown entity, mm -hmm. something that you are removed from the self-editing. Mm -hmm. Cause in that sense, it's like, well, they know that you're self-editing. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's like, it's, it's freeing to, to so kinda, it's no good to do it. Yeah. 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 And you can kind of like maybe flow in a certain direction, knowing that they understand the other parts too, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I, I think it's, it's freeing for me. Cause like I, I sometimes get, I get hung up on like, which, which lane to go down. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, if you ask me that question, like, how are you doing? Like I could answer like, you know, as a husband, yeah. as a father, as a business owner, right. which personality friend, answers as, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it could be, could be multiple directions, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but I also see like how it could be like beneficial to pick a certain person, like, like even like you or something like that, like, yeah. uh, that it would maybe draw out different things. Well, you would learn something about yourself that you can only learn through mm -hmm. your relationship with me, but also almost in a more, well, in a different way, mm -hmm. because it would be your perception of your relationship with me. Exactly. If you were to sit and have a conversation, you know, write a dialogue <laughs> with me and you uh, write both sides, uh, you know, if I do that and I write <clears throat> both sides between you and I, I answer for you. Mm -hmm. It reveals to me something that I know about you and something that I know about me through you. Mm -hmm. And okay. that's, this is our homework for next yeah, week. Right? <laughs> I'm like totally thinking, I was like, that's so fascinating. Like, I would love to like, should we do that and then read them on the show? Yeah, maybe so. <clears throat> and, and we could read this, <laughs> read the parts, like do the conversation in real life. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like I, I would give you mine and you would read your, mm -hmm. your part. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> that's so good. Done. Well, well, it's, it, it makes, I love that you talk about it. It's like, it's also revealing about the person that you're using in that space, you know? Yeah. Like, Oh, I perceive Matt this way. And this is how Matt would respond or something like that. <clears throat> that's like, that's a cool creative exercise. I like that. This is, this is something that Matt and I do on our, uh, our, our, our trips out to Marfa is we also do, uh, crazy little like we role-playing experiments <laughs> i guess that was more last time we did role-play like yeah. i would take one side of the argument uh -huh. and and you would take the other and we yeah. would argue it out <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> it's fun to discover what you know by taking on a position that isn't your own yeah it's like you kind of like manifest it or like mm -hmm. uh what do you call it? your possessed by it for, mm -hmm. for a bit, period of time, which is interesting. Like, I mean, it kind of almost sounds like very cult like or ideologues, you know, where you take on an, an idea that might not be your own, but you get possessed by that idea and you act it out. Well, isn't that all ideas? <clears throat> like, isn't that what we're doing, no, whether true. we're conscious of it or not? Mm -hmm. hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that kind of like, uh, yeah, you kind of like, I mean, I, that's why you have mission statements. That's why you have, uh, um, well, I guess we'll just go with mission statements for now. It's like, okay, in this company, we are going to take on this persona of, uh, of, you know, quality coffee and customer service or something like that. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of build a persona that you're asking people to come, come into that space hmm. and to kind of 
embody that. Embody that, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think you see the companies that do that best are the ones that really stand out. I mean, I always like, you know, Chick-fil-A is an interesting one. It's like my pleasure. It's like, that's a simple word. But in that way, you're they're, you're embodying something to the customer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's not just every other person. It's like, no, this is something that we ask of all of our employees, you know, that you embody that sort of mentality, you know, or like dicks where they're met, where they're meeting mean to you the whole time. <laughs> oh, are they? I don't think I've ever been in a dicks. Oh yeah. It's like, <clears throat> it's like, you're just meant to like put down people and like it's part of the whole thing. <laughs> really? But, but you have to take on the persona of being a dick. Well, now right? I want to go there. <laughs> Is that real? Uh-huh. Huh. I don't know if they're around anymore, but like uh, the sporting goods shop. No, 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 no. Oh. Uh, it's a restaurant. Oh, I think it's called dicks. I'm pretty sure it is. Dicks, where everyone's a dick? Yeah, basically. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, Hooters, there's another one. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, I mean, I mean, all companies have uh, some sort of missionary, missionary yeah. statement. <laughs> Mission, well, it is missionary. You're, you're propagating some sort of idea into the public, you know? Hmm. Well, just, it, it makes me wonder the question, like, <clears throat> what does it mean to be genuine and what does it mean to be true? in a context of a world where we have to embody, mm. well, we, we live, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. So we have to embody a shared ideal with other people. Mm. So, you know, in your family, you are expected to behave a certain way, um, to share a certain set of values, to do a certain number of things. It's the same at your job. It's the same in, you know, a, a church or a community group. Um, and, and we all participate in that willingly and gladly, mostly, you know, you might become disenchanted with your, with the identity that you have to put on with your family and rebel against that, but you're going to find another group of people yeah. and start to conform to them mm-hmm. because that feels better. It's the same thing that you're doing. It's a necessary part of life. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what does it mean to be genuine? What does it mean to be true? What does it mean to be you mm-hmm. when that is necessarily wrapped in the robes of social interactions? Mm. And I think that's a really, you know, why is it, let's say that you go to Chick-fil-A and they say my pleasure, which, it, which could become trite and disingenuous so quickly, like mm-hmm. we've all been to a place where they say, a th- like you go into a Walgreens and what's the first thing you hear? It's like the person checking the guy, the person out goes, welcome to Walgreens. Hmm. And you know, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's like, you could just not say that. I know you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I felt, I just feel mad now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel good. Um, yeah. but they're going to say it every time, but you go to Chick-fil-A and they say my pleasure. And you're like, I'm not mad about that. Yeah. It didn't feel disingenuous. I know you are asked to say it and they say it every single time, mm-hmm. but you know what? I feel good about it. You know, what is the difference between those two things? And mm. I, I suspect that the difference to the, between those two things is some clue into what it means to be you, to be genuine, to be true within sort of the necessary adoption of a recognizable identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you kind of got me going all over the place because I mean, like, I think of even just the identity of being a father. You know, 
you're not just a father because you your sperm happened to make this go into an egg and make this baby. You know, that's not really being a father. Like a <clears throat> you know, there's a lot more to it. There's something that you also embody as a father. There's sort of like a protective aspect. There's a sort of teaching and growing and maturing somebody up into adulthood to then go out into the world and to do something to have some sort of impact on the world. Like, cause you, cause I mean, again, that whole metaphor of father is also, you know, fathers of nations or, you know, mothers of nation, you know, it's like, there's something be, recognizable about mm-hmm. that such that you can use it and apply it in a con in a potentially unnatural context, mm-hmm. a naturally derived context. And it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Or even people that don't have kids, but they also are fathers to other people. Mm-hmm. And they embody fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's super, super fascinating. I think that's something that we also, I think there's many times we find ourselves in roles and there's other times that we get to choose those roles and embody them, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, like being a willing participant, I think that's the part is like the, welcome to Walgreens guy, you know, maybe there's another lady that says, Hey, welcome to Walgreens. Good to see you. You know, and you're like, Hey, all right, cool. I've never met that one at a Walgreens, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, but it's something that, that they've chosen to embody something mm-hmm. and by choosing it rather than being unwillingly drug into that participation. Well, you almost know something more about the genuineness about, about the authentic person. Mm-hmm when they unexpectedly do the expected thing, like they say Mm. the expected thing, but in a way that you didn't expect, you see more of who they truly are. Yeah. Which is so hard in customer service, especially, I mean, cause you're, it's not just one person. It's a hundred people. It's a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And it's like having to be genuine all across those that, cause I remember when I first got uh, my uh, I mean, I mowed lawns. I did much of this stuff, but my first, uh, I worked at a coffee shop and I found myself just getting creative in how to welcome people. And so it ended up being kind of a game, you know, it's like, it, but it was all about like, you know, it was just, it was just fun to see people change in the way that you greet them. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's amazing. Like just in the way you greet people, and even just grumpy ass old people or grumpy, just young people or whatever it might be. But there's a thing that you do and can do and are capable of that can change people. And that's one thing I think I drew me most, mostly at coffee shops and especially opening one is like, is like you get five minutes of somebody's day for like 365 days. Mm. And so like you have this little moment where you can like just change their day. And it, and it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and I love getting the, the square reviews whenever like someone like, you know, your staff is so friendly and, and, and nice and stuff like that. And it's just, I think people are just taken aback by just those tiny interactions. Cause those are tiny interactions. Like maybe 15 minutes we have with a customer, you know, from, from line to drink right. and out the door, right. you know? And it's just, it's just really cool like, to see when people do embody that in a very unique and authentic way. 
It's like you change the world, you change the environment around you. The power of creative <clears throat> attention. Mm, creative attention, that's good. Changes the world. Mm -hmm. And not just people, mm -hmm. but what we sort of traditionally think of as objects as well. Huh. How so? Well, the way that you pay attention to the things in your house transforms them into something completely different over a longer period of time. Mm. You know, the, the object that you neglect deteriorates and becomes something completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's mechanical, it breaks down and all of a sudden at some point it can't be restored into its original functional purpose. Well, now it's not what it originally was mm -hmm. no way to make it what it was. Yeah. Um, whereas things that you cherish and value and take care of, well, they become something totally different. Not only do they not break down because you've taken care of them, they transform into something that carries, well, something like a meme through generations of a family. It becomes a symbolic representation of something completely beyond itself. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful enough. Um, but creative attention when applied to another conscious individual, as you said, mm -hmm. in the course of five minutes or even 30 seconds yeah. can change a person's life mm -hmm. in ways that you will never know. And they will never know because you won't ever know the alternative, but you'll sense that something has shifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I just, there's so many examples that are starting to pop into my head as you're talking about this. Like, you know, even, uh, so Allison's kind of gone through her house and done a bunch of like re revamping and cleaning and cleansing of, of just stuff. Like Allison are not necessarily like clean people, you know, but like, but it's just fun to see her having done this. Like it makes me more, bring more attention to things too. And yeah, totally. When someone around you pays attention to something, it draws your attention to uh, it. What do you think about you and I? Like, I mean, I mean, you're paying attention to so many different things. I'm paying attention to, you know, you're bringing these to the forefront to each other. Even just this podcast is kind of even about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so much, it's so enriching to have those relationships that you are kind of bringing things to the forefront that maybe the other person's not seeing, you know, mm -hmm. or doesn't have the time to see. You know? Well, maybe that's why, relationship is so important relationship is so fundamental hmm. to the nature of reality so if you combine that this idea of creative attention transformative hmm. attention with the almost unlimited unknown of the chaotic potential of being <laughs> that's a lot of words there. <laughs> that was a lot of words it's awesome <laughs> uh you know i don't really it's like i know what something is whether an object or a person mm -hmm. But once you start looking at it, you, you augment my understanding of it. Mm. So I can't really, my interaction with the world is so limited without relationship that yeah. it's hard to say that I'm interacting with a, a world at all. It's not until relationship enters the picture that the picture actually comes into being in, mm. in a meaningful way. Yeah, it just makes me think of like, if of having kids and like what what kids do to, you, as far as like broadening your perspective, like macro and micro, as far as like keeping a little tiny baby alive to, 
you know, what does the future hold for my kids and then my grandkids and how that sort of draws your attention to not just your own immediate needs. I think there's like, you know, I just see, I just, and again, it's not really about age and like when, when, or if you get married or have kids and stuff like that, this is kind of more of a broader, uh, insider perspective is that, you know, when you don't have kids or aren't married, it's like, it's harder to see beyond yourself and what you're, what you need and what is best because you're always thinking about your energy levels, your social circles. And that, that as you broaden that and you actually carry or, or bring more people into that sphere, I think that's, I think, I think kids are kind of a natural aspect of that and in, in being married mm-hmm. is you're inviting somebody into that sphere and you're saying with a, with a wife or a husband, it's like, like, <clears throat> like I'm willingly kind of submitting myself to this for a long term thing. Mm-hmm. And your kids are, they're your kids. So whether you want them or not, <laughs> they're, they're sometimes, you know, whatever, <laughs> it's like, but it's like, but you've kind of submitted yourself to like having this, this broader perspective on the world around you. And, but you still have to willingly accept that, that challenge and, and to invite that relationship. It's not just the act of having kids. It's the inviting that relationship and that, moving forward with them through time. Mm-hmm. But you look like you're about to pull something up or something. Uh, no, I decided to, to write a couple of these thoughts down. Mm. Um, yeah, it just makes me think that you know, if, what if you would, were to like somehow set up your day, you can almost imagine this like a movie, like a character, you're watching them go through their day and they're interacting with they these short little clips of them interacting with all kinds of different people. You know, what if you could set up your day such that every day you had a conversation with a homeless person and a billionaire, hmm. Hmm. you had a conversation with a child and someone who was in hospice, you had a conversation uh, with a child that was your own and a child that wasn't with a man and a woman. I mean, think about as many like juxtapositions as, as you can. Yeah. How rich, like what <laughs> I couldn't even s- imagine the limitation of what you would learn in a single day. Hmm. I love that. So uh, Ryan, we focus. Oh, I was going to say, and I'm making those distinctions, but they're all arbitrary distinctions Mm -hmm. because you could intersect any number of those, uh, opposites. You know, it could be a homeless child or a homeless old old person Mm -hmm. or a billionaire person in hospice or, you know, a billionaire child. I don't know. It's like, (laughs) and then how many ways could you intersect these different personalities? There's, there's, um, and all of those are just simply circumstantial, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many ways could you intersect those? And those are all a new set of experiences that are that have the potential to show you something you didn't see before. Yeah. 
I like that. I think you, I feel like you've given me so many uh, <laughs> creative things to do this week. Well, we've made this point to each other and and, and on the show before. Um, but every person you meet is some amazing combination of those things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think you would do well by by behaving or positioning yourself toward everyone you interact with as if they're the most interesting person in the entire world Mm. because they probably are. Oh yeah. And you have a ton to learn and how rich would your life be? And I don't just mean rich in meaning, but it would be rich in meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, Like rich in information, rich in learning, probably rich in wealth if you're making those connections and learning all of those things and Mm -hmm. paying attention and putting that in enacting that in your life Mm. the the, i can't imagine that the result of that would be anything other than fruit yeah and growth yeah there's there's really not i mean it's almost if you if you neglect those things it's like there's more of the metaphor of death in that Mm-hmm. If you neglect relationship, if you neglect the opening yourself up to people and exploring and being curious, it's like whether whatever uh, option is there, it's just withering, you know, and dying because it's the same idea of a plant. You have to take care of it and water it and give attention to it. And, and if you don't give attention to living things, then, I mean, even non-living things, if you don't give attention to them, they just take longer to deteriorate, you know, but especially living things you have to give attention to, whether you're your dog or your cat or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, marriages, if you don't give attention to them, they wither and, and die, you know, it's like your kids, if you don't give attention to them. Yeah. I mean, you could make the case though, that, <clears throat> you know, nature kind of does its thing in yeah. the absence of humans. Oh, interesting. But I think that the unique thing about the human experience and human consciousness is that we have the potential to transform what is into something it never could have been. Mm. You know, that's the, that's what a garden is. Yeah. A garden doesn't occur naturally. It is the result of creative attention. Mm -hmm. You know, That's why, that's why we have the concept of art and why you would say that a garden is art. It's like anything that is the result of creative attention hmm. is somehow artistic. <laughs> totally. I mean, you could even horrific, like <laughs> terrifyingly describe something horrifying as artistic. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine some serial killer being like, it's almost artistic the way that he operates. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a Dexter. It's kind of that way. I never saw Dexter. I heard it was good, Mm -hmm. but it's the, it's the, it can still be the result of creative attention. In that case, I suppose it's destructive attention, uh, but it's creating a destruction that wasn't there before (laughs) or wouldn't have occurred naturally. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, there is that part too. It's like, it's like the intention that you have for things like, you know, what do we, we talked about this with Allison the other night, like sort of the idea of like sin is something that keeps you from your, 
your kind of your true self. You know, if you're if you're prideful and and arrogant, it's sort of like a mask or a barrier to what is what is something that is real or genuine or authentic. And we we put up these sort of barriers that keep us from that authentic and genuine part. And that can be seen as, you know, sin or something like that, Mm. that keeps you from that, the authentic and genuine. Um, So it's interesting, just even just with religious language, you kind of, you still see that idea of what keeps us from the genuine, what keeps us from the authentic. It's like, it could in religious language be just called sin. It's like, it's something false. It's something keeping you from and in the sense of religious language it's like it's keeping you from a relationship with god it's like it's like you're trying to be something that you're not or you're giving yourself to something that is less and it's actually destructive and and is um (laughs) dehumanizing (laughs) it's i don't know I don't know, that, that, that kind of paints a really interesting picture to me as far as what things that keep us from sort of experiencing authenticity. You know, and I think that word's thrown around a lot. And I think sometimes that word has been almost co-opted into a, a selfishness, you know. Oh, be your authentic self. It's like, well, you can't be your authentic self in a, in a vacuum, like your authentic self includes other people hmm. and them revealing to you who you are and who your authentic self is. Right. It's not a solipsistic, narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're <clears throat> whoever you are. Like if you're out to be your authentic self, mm-hmm. whoever that is, is, determined by some process of discovery. Like you, Mm. you discover who you are, which means that there's time involved, which means that it's a directional process. I'm, I am whoever I am, but I'm also discovering who I am. So I'm moving into who I am, Mm -hmm. which means that I'm not currently who I could be Mm. or who I truly am. So to be authentic is to be, honest about that and humble. I mean, that's what humility is, right? Mm -hmm. A recognition that I'm not who I could be, which I think is what introduces the concept of sin. Hmm. Sin is an archery term, which means to miss the mark, which means you shoot an arrow at in a certain direction, a direction that has meaning because it's toward a target and you miss. So I'm moving toward who I, I truly am and I miss. So who I am I? I'm not who I truly am. <clears throat> I'm something false. I'm yeah. something lesser. I'm something less authentic than I could be. Hmm. Yeah, and it seems like I, you know, as in marriage and with kids, like I think they reveal that, you know, in, in friendship, you know, whenever who you are is reflected back to you, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm an ass and I see how that affects other people, it's reflected back to me mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm an ass, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, huh? 
I can either, I can ignore that and just continue on my way. But I find, I think you'll find, I find myself in a very lonely place <laughs> if I don't take heed of how that, how my actions and how I'm projecting myself into, into this world. If I'm not taking heed of those sort of how that's reflected back at me, it's think I think you end up in a very lonely place. Well, necessarily so. Yeah. I mean, it only follows, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in any social situation, if you're not taking heed of the social cues around you and you do that long enough, you're mm-hmm. going to be ostracized. Yeah. Which is to be alone, mm. to be outside the group. That's lonely. Yeah. Which is interesting. So <clears throat> let me throw a, a wrench in this. So like whenever, <laughs> if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, <laughs> throw your wrench. <clears throat> well, I mean, so there are those. So sometimes when a culture gets too doggedly or dogged into a certain area, dogmatic, dogmatic, yeah, okay. doggedly <laughs> dogmatic into a certain area. It's like, you do have people that are breaking free of that and it's being reflected to them that they are being counterculture or um anti-establishment whatever that might be and so you get negative feedback and so there's that part that that can actually bring people in back into that sort of maybe negative dogma because it's getting reflected back to them that they are not welcome so there's also that sort of opposite. Mm-hmm. Like how do you how do you encounter that? Like how do you determine or distinguish between sort of how you act in the world and how it's reflected back to you in in those situations? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the thread there. There's something really good in that <clears throat> because I think we've set up the case that as social creatures, social feedback and social cues are important. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay attention to them, you can end up ostracized and lonely. However, the, the solution to that or the, the, the hedge against that isn't to simply behave in a way that is accepted by the group Mm -hmm. because that's, dogmatic conformity and and there's something false in that mm-hmm. and you know we all know the person who enters a social group and obviously is behaving in a way that betrays the fact that their motive is to be liked mm-hmm. and that's inauthentic yeah it's like we want you and yeah we want you to play by the sort of loose set of rules of the social feedback but we also expect you to bring your uniqueness mm-hmm. and to do that truthfully. And there are times in which someone, well, so if the alternative that you don't want is to be false in order to conform, in order to be liked, which I think has to be false. If you're behaving in a way that is all, is, is all about social cues in order to be accepted and liked, that's a false identity. And it's, it's, it's obvious mm-hmm. to anyone paying attention. 
Some people don't pay attention. Um, but it's also possible to sort of hit that tripwire of, so of the social cues by actually being true, by being truthful. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the example you're laying out here, which <clears throat> is to the extent that the society at whatever level, you know, it could be four people in a circle at a party or an entire town or civilization, um, to the extent that that civilization or sorry, sorry, that society becomes dogmatic, you need the creative individuality of the individual, the uniqueness of the individual to speak truth against that, mm-hmm. which is going to disrupt it. Yeah. And it could cause you to be, you know, ostracized mm-hmm. as well. But in, that's a different case. Yeah. It seems so hard to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Or it could be. Well, and, and in your example, that that voice becomes the counterculture. Mm-hmm. But what's necessary there is that there is more than one person sort of speaking truth, unacceptable truth against the dogma mm-hmm. to gather into a counterculture. It's not just a counter individual, it's mm-hmm. a counterculture. And that's it sort usually of starts with one person. Like, I think of like many. So I think of two different uh, examples in this area as far as, you know, you have the one who is just always counter whatever is the culture, you That's know, a contrarian, <laughs> a contrarian. And it just doesn't matter. It's like, they just, they, they feel like they, in order to be unique, they have to be outside. And so it, it's just, it, it, it's sort of a haphazard attack on whatever is socially acceptable, whether it's, positive or, or, or negative. Usually it's, it's, it's towards positive, you know? Um, but also on the negative side, but then you have the individual that, you know, you know, let's, let's think of like, uh, you know, the early fifties or sixties and, and racism it's, or something like that. You know, it's like where it's like, no, I have friends of all these different races or religions or whatever it might be. And it's like, that could have been, or it was counterculture, you know, it was not accepted maybe. And so, you, you know, you're not, you're not getting the positive feedback hmm. or reflection of that, of your actions in the world. So there has to be something that is higher than, even though our social interactions and relationships mirror back to us, our, um, uh, I guess how we act in the world, whether positively or negatively, it's like sometimes we might get negative feedback, even though our actions in the world are actually positive and good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so there's a certain part of you have to be able to, to hold up underneath that sort of negative, that negative um, feedback that you're getting relationally. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of an archetypal story. Hmm. I mean, it's the story of Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. Their love was counterculture. Yeah. And it caused a war between their families. Mm-hmm. And it's a compelling story because we all understand it. Yeah. And it's also a necessary story mm-hmm. because that has to happen to renew the world. Yeah. The dying world. Mm. You know, the dying family at, at its own hand, its own dogmatic tradition Mm -hmm. 
It has to be renewed by the counterculture of bucking the system. Mm-hmm. There's almost a cycle of it. I don't want to get into this right now. We're kind of into some ideas of uh, of cycle of sort of, you know, war and rebirth is kind of a, a good way to say it. But mm-hmm. it's it's sort of this idea of like a generation that grew up in war understands the perils and this, the, the next generation tangentially understands the peril. The third generation sort of has forgotten, but still lightly holds it. But then a war kind of comes, becomes romantic and doesn't have that same understanding of the peril of what war has. And the fourth generation is, is very detached from it. And there's some, there's some cycles in that, that, that have happened throughout history that are, are, are interesting to kind of, to kind of look at, but there's something about that sort of renewal, that death, the seasons of life, you know, you have spring where the flowers bloom and summer and, and then winter where things are fall, where things start to die and wilt. And then winter where things have died. It seems like there's, there is that sort of like cycle that we all go through in many ways, whether it be the life cycle or many cycles that we need to have that sort of death and rebirth circle of life, circle of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like death is just as important as life, but there's something about being able to hold that perspective. You know, I think that's, that's kind of what we look to our elders for in a sense, because they've gone through many, many cycles but also the vibrancy of life that's in the youth. That's something that's very powerful. Do you think that the concept of elders even exists in our zeitgeist anymore? It's a really good question. Uh, I'm kind of battling through a bunch of, <clears throat> bunch of thoughts on this. So it's not, it's not, it's not well thought out, but I've really thought about in specifically in our current generation. Uh, I mentioned this before the podcast, but like sort of the Gen Xers who are um, 1981 to ni- uh, 17, I mean 17, <laughs> I think it was like 1960-something <laughs> or 70, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But the Gen Xers, you know, by the time they came of age, the boomers were all in positions of power, whether it be in academia. We've talked about this on the podcast too, but uh, politics is there really wasn't any room for the Gen Xers as they came into um, adulthood because the, the boomer generation was still sort of in power. They weren't like, they weren't bring they weren't sort of like ushering in that next generation. And so I think there's a little bit lost in that because I, I and again, this is not, this is a generalization, but I don't think the boomers really, welcomed in that their next generation and kind of allowed them to take to take the lead and sort of come into their own so you're kind of having the millennials that are going to kind of come behind the gen xers and take up that space and so i think there's some there's some maybe some generational things that we that we didn't really see uh mirrored or represented to us if that makes sense yeah well let me let me try to unpack that because yeah, that's pretty vague and <laughs> broad. <laughs> well, I guess I asked the question because the, so I was raised in the Christian church. And mm-hmm. so 
there's a general idea in my head that comes from youth that mm. there is a, a board of elders mm. who are to be respected and consulted. Mm. And it's like the board of a company. Yeah. Um, you have a CEO in the church, you have a pastor, mm. but the pastor is beholden to the board of elders and they may not be um, sort of active, like, enactors of policy, yeah. but they are to be respected mm -hmm. and you are beneath them. Mm -hmm. um, and so to transition to that, transition that idea to something sort of political, like there was an idea that I understood in the sort of late eighties, early nineties, you know, when I was maybe around 10 into my early teens that like when the president speaks, you sit down and watch. Mm doesn't matter what party he's in. Totally. The office of the president is to be respected. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it's like respect where respect is due. That's kind of the idea. And that's the idea of, of elders. And so you're, you're making the proposition that the boomer generation came into position of prominence mm -hmm. And there was so many of them. That's why they were called the boomers. Yeah. 40% increase yeah. <laughs> population. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. The population of the United States increased 40% that generation. Mm -hmm. So they took over all of the positions of business institution prominence and then just didn't leave those positions. Mm -hmm. And so their sort of generation of elders died and they never transitioned into the position of elders. Mm -hmm. And so neither did the next generation transition into their positions. Mm -hmm. So the, the culture, cultural idea of elders, however sort of vague that idea is, you know, you, you kind of like, it's like I rooted in the church and maybe in sort of this vague idea of respect where respect is due. That sort of, didn't transition into reality mm -hmm. because of this demographic boom that happened post-World War II. Yeah. I mean, I, generally speaking, I, I, I do, I do see that. I mean, it does feel that way as far as like, and it's sort of like, it's like, if you don't, if you don't usher in somebody into their next stage of life, I think that's part of like, I mean, that's what parents do. You know, if you don't, if you don't teach your kids like, Hey, you're a woman, you're, you're a man. Now you're not a boy. You're not a young person anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's something that culturally like has built, been built into cultures across millennia. It's like, you are a man now. You are a woman now. And which isn't exactly such a proclamation of objective truth as it mm -hmm. is a passing down of role and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which it's like you can, I mean, this is back to the idea of uh, structures eventually become dogmatic and they need the counterculture, mm -hmm. you know, fair enough. But without, without passing your role down and moving on into the next, well, you can't move on to the next unless you pass yours down. Totally. 
And if you don't do either of those, whatever the system is, whether it's a family or a community or a country mm-hmm. becomes corrupt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, holy shit, it's 2021. Cryptocurrency is a thing. <laughs> and the most powerful people in our country are octogenarians. Yeah. You know, they lived the majority of their life without computers. <laughs> uh-huh. So what the hell? Uh-huh. Yeah. What is this Twitter and this <laughs> Facebook? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I mean, like this, they're, they're trying to understand things that they have very little comprehension of. And I mean, you and I experience it as, as parents, like our kids are living in a different world and you and I are pretty techno savvy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's still, it's just still a a different world. And, you know, we can either sort of guide them and understand that they have something that we don't have, right. But give them perspective, but still honor their unique understanding of the world. Like there's something that's, that that's to me, that's, 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 that's an idea about being an elder is, is being able to stand outside of outside and say, I have perspective on this, Hmm. but you understand this. Right. And, 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 which is why, you know, in the church, the elders or an elder, isn't the one giving the sermon. That's the pastor. The elder is the one with the perspective. And Mm -hmm. that's why the pastor is beholden to the elder. You need the younger generation to come in and enact because they're the ones with the creative perspective, but you need the elders who have what was like, I want to say wisdom. I mean, that's the idea of an elder, right? Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? Historical perspective, uh, lived experience, you know, outside of 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) I always Hmm. lived experience is one of those words that have kind of lost meaning to me. Yeah, (laughs) I know you, (laughs) <laughs> but it's true of an elder. It's like actual lived experience. Like you, you want to add that. I used to keep a list of words that I, ne- I never want to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to add that to the list. Yeah. Your truth and lived experience. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Shit. That's another one. Right. I <laughs> right. hate that. I hate saying that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was the lull. <laughs> it was. And it was yeah. definitely, uh, we definitely, I think there's more to get on that, but I think we've got, I think we've got some, you know, I've been kind of scratching on, uh, some of this sort of generational, generational sort of stuff that I think that we'll probably be getting into in the coming episodes too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. <laughs> Yeah, have a good night. Thanks for coming with us. Definitely enjoyed it. (laughs) See you guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. I think the only one I've been, I think our last episode is the only one I've been.